Hello, everyone. So great to see you here. It was a sunny day in Vancouver. Wasn't that great? You guys all remember what that yellow ball is in the sky? You remember that? So great to see that again. Uh, we, had a, uh, we have a, a special guest today that I'm really excited for you to hear from her. Um, Omatar, if you could come up. Um, this is Omatar. She, we can call her Tara because it's easier. Uh, Johnson. She's from Calgary now. She was from uh, England before in Nigeria. Just a globe trotter, setter person. Uh, she's been part of our Every Nation Church in Calgary for a number of years now. How many years would you say? Oh, 1999. Wow. That's a good, that's a, it's too long. Now, if you're from Vancouver, that well, that's amazing, but not Calvary. Um, uh, she is the CEO of a uh, painting company in, in uh, Calgary with about 25 to 30 employees. And she has, she's been doing this amazing work in Sierra Leone. And I really wanted um, to introduce you to her. Uh, she's going to be speaking today. And what I am looking forward to is us having a long, as a church community, us having a long-term relationship with Tara, with Freedom Tree, and with Sierra Leone. And so uh, last year, we emphasized giving to the Hitauta House for sex trafficking. That was kind of a, a one-off event. This one, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to sow into this ministry over many years to come. And... Uh, so I'm looking forward to Tari speak to us. Could we please welcome her as she, uh, she speaks? Hi. Oh, you guys sound like tired or something. Hello, everyone. That's much better. Well, where I'm from in Calgary, it's the sun shines all the time. <laughs> So Greg said the sun came out today in Vancouver, and um, in Calgary it's, I mean, we get tons of snow, as some of you who've been there probably know, but it's so sunny, and even when the snow's on the ground, you have to wear sunglasses all the time because it's sort of reflecting right in your face. Um, I'm super excited to be here today and to share with you, um, and what I wanted to do was just share a little bit of my story and just uh, tell you some stories of what God um, what God is doing, and I'm really excited about that. Is that okay? Yeah? Okay. So, I am what I would call maybe um, an accidental missionary, because it wasn't something I intended or set out to do, but it is something that I'm doing now, and I work in a tiny little country in West Africa called Sierra Leone. Who's ever heard of Sierra Leone? Oh, some of you have. Oh, that's great. Usually when I ask that question, very few people have. It's a small country in West Africa, about 6 million people. Um, really small and has a very interesting history. Not always the positive news comes out about Sierra Leone and what happens there. And so, like Greg mentioned, um, I've been going to U Church now in the Every Nation Church in Calgary for since 1999, a long time, since I was a student basically, and started going there as a student. Um, and one day, I put up my hands and volunteered to go on a mission trip. 
Um, I was a little hesitant to go, but I was really excited about going because I'd always has, had this heart to go to other nations and see what God was doing in other nations. And so in 2004, 2005, I went to Sierra Leone, to West Africa, um, with our church. And at that time, it was just one year after the war had just ended in Sierra Leone, the civil war. And they had a 12-year civil war that was um, very brutal. And um, went there. And I, uh, after coming back, I, I thought, wow, there's, there's so much to do. We need to, we need to go back and, and we need to do more. And I kept saying to people all around, we need to go back. Somebody needs to go back. Somebody needs to do more. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. And I saw things when I was there because the war had just ended. I saw things that I'd never seen before, just the desperation and um, the lack because of the things that the people had been through. And I said that for about two years, something, somebody needs to go. And I finally realized that maybe that somebody was me. And I put up my hand again. And this time I went and I took a team of people. And then I kept going year after year. And it sort of grew and developed um, until 2012. And I started a nonprofit called Freedom Tree. And my journey into that, I, you know, a lot of us, when we see things on television, right, when we see things on TV that move us in other countries, a lot of us who, you feel uncomfortable, am I right? Yeah. Um, some of you here may come from countries where you're familiar with that and you've seen things like that. For many of us who have grown up in the West, it's hard to look at that. And we often don't know what to do with it because we feel, sometimes we feel a responsibility, but then you may feel guilty because you don't know what to do. You may feel guilty because you feel like you have more. And we see, you know, the images of starving kids on the continent in Africa or some other country, like Zimbabwe or Uganda, and you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do with that, and you just flick the channel. Or we do our bit, by having a sponsored child, and we have somebody on the fridge that we send $30 a month for. Or you may be like Carol and Glenn Elson, I spent some time with them today, who are gung-ho and want to reach all the people in the world who've never heard about Jesus. Wherever you are on that spectrum, I want to encourage you today that caring about what happens in other nations and other countries, it's not something we have to feel guilty about. It's something that our Father, our Heavenly Father, He does. He already does. He cares about them. And so what it looks like to join and to do this and to be a missionary or to go to another country or to care about these things is simply all it is, is to care about what He cares about. That's all. The burden can be very overwhelming. Sometimes I think about that and I feel the burden very overwhelming when I feel of the scale of the things that we need to do in Sierra Leone or the things that we need to do to make things right. But it's not my burden to carry. It's not mine. It's not my responsibility to fix things. I just get to do what the Father is doing. I get to see what he's doing, and because I'm with him, I care about what he cares about. 
And sometimes that can be a mental shift because we don't, we don't need to get up and go do this because we have to. But we do it because the love of God is in us. And so we love the people that he loves. And if you feel like you're not there, hopefully as I share the story, I really want to make sure that you don't feel the guilt. <laughs> you don't feel the condemnation from not doing or from joining something but that you would have at the end a heart that would say, Father, if I don't care, then show me how to. I want to care about the things that are on your heart. I want to love people like you do. I want to have that passion like you do. I always think about this scripture when I think about Sierra Leone and the things that I do, and it's a scripture that speaks of justice. In Proverbs 31, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and sure justice for those who are being crushed. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and sure justice for those who are being crushed. I've always found it sort of um, interesting, especially when I was a child, I would look at other children um, who maybe were not in the same position that I was in and wonder why they had the things, they, they didn't have things that I have, or they did not have access or opportunity that I had. And all the difference, the only difference between myself and them was we just had different parents, that's all. Why is it that somebody can be born into a different family and have different access to things? And that's all that separates us. And it's easy for us to look at people and say, well, they're in this position. They're poor because of these things that they've done to themselves. Or they're in this position because of that. Or they're struggling because of all the things that are going on in their lives. And that may be true, but truthfully, not all of us are born with an equal opportunity in life or the equal, the voice to speak up for ourselves. And God is so passionate about justice And he is so passionate about speaking up for people who are weak. Like when you look at Jesus' life through the Bible, he always spoke up for those who could not speak up for themselves. He defended the people who were always being attacked. He defended the cause of the widow. He defended the orphans. He defended those that society had maligned and put aside. And so when we go and we do the same, we're only doing what our father is doing. We're only doing what he cares about and what he does. And the reality is, our nations are not all equal. Canada, we're very, very lucky, very, very lucky to live in this nation. Very, very fortunate. And after I've been to Sierra Leone so many times, I can't bring myself to complain that much about our medical system anymore. (laughs) We're so fortunate that we have what we have here. But many people don't. And so we speak up. We speak up, we don't stay silent because some people don't have that voice to be able to do those things. In Isaiah 58, it talks about, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loosen the bonds of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free? And he says, if you will do this, if you will do this, if you will spend yourselves on behalf of the poor, if you will do this, then your light will shine forth like the dawn. It will break forth. So it's like, I don't, I don't need your rituals. I don't need you to be religious and do the right things anymore. Give of yourself. Do something outside of yourself. 
You know, one of the hardest things about international missions, when you actually get into it, or any mission, actually, whatever it is that you do that God has called you to, that you get into, is that when God has called you to it, it is something that you can't really control, and that can be really hard. Because God's mission, His call, His mission is simply, when He says, when we come under the same mission as God, it's something that you can't really control. It's something that is outside of the bounds of things that you would normally do. You can't control who you join with. You can't control the people that you do it with necessarily. And sometimes that makes us uncomfortable. And so oftentimes we can't join and go join something because we feel like it's out of control. And does that make sense to anybody? Yeah. Because I really would like something to be neat and controlled for me to be able to predict when I can do it, when I can't do it, when I can go, how much it will cost me, you know, not just financially, but also physically or emotionally. But I can't do that. And there is no mission from God that you can actually do that with. That's the hardest part. It feels out of control. And sometimes we get to go on mission with people that uh, you're like, wow, (laughs) I have to work this through. (laughs) But it's also the best part because it's him that's doing it. And we release ourselves and we release our hearts for him to move through us and work through us. Amen? Am I challenging you too much? So the first thing is let go. Let go of the expectations in terms of what it's going to look like, how it's going to look, how long it's going to take you, what it's going to cost, and just be free. So Sierra Leone is an interesting country. It's uh, wealthy in natural resources. If you've ever seen the movie Blood Diamonds, anyone seen that movie? Yeah, that's Sierra Leone. So they just, they have so many diamonds in that country. They have so many minerals in that country rich deposits in the land. And I often find that with land and with places, God does in that land physically what he wants to do with the people there. So what's happening in the land is just the reflection of what's going on with the people. It has one of the richest deposits of minerals in the world. I think the people in Sierra Leone are rich deposit themselves, and I'll get more into that. It also has very early ties with Canada, very interesting ties for those of you who may not know. When slaves escaped from the U.S. and they went to Nova Scotia, um, there came a time where somebody decided, hey, let's take all these slaves and give them their own land. And so we're going to send you back to Africa, to where you came from, um, even though that was 400 years prior. So they chose a little piece of land off the coast of Sierra Leone that was called Freetown. It was called Freetown because that's where the freed slaves settled. And so they went from Nova Scotia to Sierra Leone and settle there. And so there's a group of people, it has this interesting connection in this, you know, know, rich history with Canada that I find fascinating because I think God wants to do something redemptive about that today, which is why we're standing here today and talking about this. It is also one of the worst places, actually the worst place in the world to give birth today. Every two hours in Sierra Leone, a woman dies giving birth. That means by the time we've started the service and ended, one woman died at the beginning, somebody will have died at the end. In a population of just six million people, that's an awful lot of women 
right? That's really sad. It also has one of the highest infant mortality rates in the world, 20%. That means 20% infant mortality is measured as children who survive childbirth. How many of them will actually live to see their fifth birthday? In Sierra Leone, 20% of them will not. That's a lot. If I ask the question, who knows somebody who's died giving birth? In Sierra Leone, everybody would raise their hands. If I ask that question here, is, has, does anyone? Just one person, a couple people, yeah. Here in Sierra Leone, all the hands would go up because it's so common. It's so common. And it's wrong. I'm going to show you, this is a report from a village called Nagoa Kenema that we work in in Sierra Leone. And this is a real report from this community that we received in October. So the population of the people were about 2,000 people. Ten women gave birth in October. Three of them died giving birth in October of those ten women. Four of those babies died in childbirth. One of the women survived childbirth but had a stillbirth. Number of children under five who died were 26 in a village of 2,000 people. That's just one month. And these are the reports that we receive month after month from the communities that we work in. If this was British Columbia, if this was your province here that you live in, 4,320 women would die each month. There would be 1,440 stillbirths and 44,000 children would die every month, every month, under five. 44,000. Think about that for a second. 44,000 and most, vast majority, preventable. It is not just wrong, it is completely against what God's heart is and what he wants. Now why does this happen? I looked into, there's several reasons why this happened, but one of the things I looked into was when God began to speak to me about this, um, look and see, what does the Bible say about this? What is his heart for women and for children? What is his heart for living? Do you know that there's a couple places in the Bible where children were wiped out en masse? Did you know that? Yeah. Do you remember those stories? Can you t somebody tell me one of those stories? You can shout it out. The plagues, yeah. There was two stories particularly that just went after children. Moses. Yeah, and, and Herod. What was happening in each of those stories, in each of those places? You can shout it out. If you remember, when Moses was born, Pharaoh said, kill all the firstborn, all the male children that live. Do you remember that? Yeah, 
And he said, go after all the male children, kill them all right at their birth. What would inspire a man, a king, an ordinary man to just kill children? Is that a normal thought? Why was he trying to do that? Because what? Fear of being overtaken. But did he know that somebody was going to be born that would overtake him? Who knew? Yeah, who else besides Herod? Who inspired him? Satan. And then when Jesus was born, the same thing. He knew that there was a king that was about to be born. And he said, who is the king? Who can be the king of these Jews? I am the king of the Jews. No child to be born here that has a special destiny. And so he went after all these children. When I think about Sierra Leone, I think about those stories. See, I want you to change your vision from a place of pity, which is going to go and rescue and help, to know we're speaking up on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves because, because we want to uncover the destiny that God has placed in these people. In Sierra Leone, I believe this with all of my heart, with all of my heart, because this pattern is so similar to the Bible. Why would this tiny little country on the coast of West Africa, why would all the children die? Why would they die in en masse so easily, so quickly? They are because the enemy is very interested in them. He would not attack or go after children who do not have a special destiny over their lives. So when I think about Australia, one of the things that drives me is the thought that I believe there are special children that the enemy is trying to prevent from being born in this nation. And I pray, one of the things that keeps me going is I pray that I will be able to meet them and see them one day. Because of doing this, that we can see who they are. Are you tracking with me? See, it's not, we're not, we don't go do mission out of pity, but God has a plan and he has a destiny for this nation. He has a plan, he has a destiny for these people, and the enemy has tried to prevent it. I believe that the children of this nation is so special. When I go there, I just, sometimes I'm just in tears just looking at them because it's so beautiful and it's so special and there's something on them that the enemy is trying to prevent from being alive. And that's why he goes after and tries to kill right at that source. For those of you who have had childhoods that have been tumultuous, so that have been very difficult, that have been really challenging, and just, you just had to fight and struggle for so much, it's probably because there's something bigger that you're fighting for, not just your life, but something you're supposed to do or be. And so the enemy goes right after this at the source. And the same thing for the women in here. Because it is not right that a woman should die giving birth. Not at all. And so there are several reasons that go into that. One of the things, um, the health facilities. Again, when you look at that, those are the instruments that were used in the hospital when we visited at one time. When you look at that, you would never complain about what you have here. (laughs) One of the other reasons is education. We work in that area. The more, the highly, more highly educated a woman is, um, a man and a woman, but women especially, the less likely she is to die giving birth. 
And so there's connections to that. Infrastructure. This is one of the roads to the villages that we work in. This was during the rainy season. And you're lucky that, you know, we had a, we had a van going through. But if you're a woman and you live in this village and you're just an average woman, you don't really have that much money um, and you're in labor, it's very hard for you to get out from the village and go to a hospital to give birth. And so if you need that, this is sort of what you work with. It's very difficult. The other area is community ownership. How well do the com does the community work together? And some of the social practices that happen in those communities. They practice some things that are not very healthy sometimes, um, and so we work with them to change that. We use, um, won't go too much into depth into this, but along of all of those, each of those areas, we work with each of those pillars, the health, education, infrastructure. We measure that when we first go into a community, and this is a true sample that afterwards, once we finish working in the community, as it increases, the rates of maternal mortality will drop. And we've actually seen that happen. And so this is one particular village where afterwards, they, you know, they would literally have four women die every month. And it's been two years since we've been in that village and not a single woman has died, which has been amazing. Um, and one of the things that we do, not just build clinics, but we also, this is something, because it's a very, it's not just a physical issue, it's also very much a spiritual issue. And so we work with them at the ground level. Um, this is another clinic that we've built. We work with them at the ground level, using intercession and prayer, and just talking to them about God's plan, about God's heart. We send intercessors always ahead into the communities before we work with them. In order to pray through and pray God's heart and God's destiny over that people. Because it's not just about the physical structures that we do, it's also about what God wants to build in the lives and the hearts of the people there. We spend a lot of time um, talking to them. It's a very collective culture, and so coming together and talking and discussing and talking about the issue at hand is very important to get people on board as to what's actually going on. It's hard to explain sometimes all of these things and what it looks like. And so I want you to hear directly a story from one of the women in Sierra Leone that, I, that we work with and just what her story has been. If you can just maybe play that video. And I have to uh, apologize ahead of time just for the rawness of the video. It's just the clip. It's not edited that well but it will, it will tell you the story. But they, are, they are not alive. Mm. So she's just telling her story, oh. this lady here. So I had a Tara's father. When I got married to Tara's father, then I became pregnant with Tara. But before this time, I had four children. They all died of another father in another village. Hmm. Then the New Harvest and Freedom Tree came for the very first time, hmm. and then they prayed for her. Hmm. At that time, I was uh, almost nine months pregnant. 
and then when they got back, so I gave back to Tara, and after five months, um, um, the big Tara came. <laughs> So when, when she came, she asked me what is the name of the child. I said we have not given her any name yet because we were giving names to the others and they were dying. So we have not given name yet. Then she said well the baby is Tara. Hmm. And that Tara has lived. So that's it. You can switch that off. Thank you. So I don't know if you could understand what she was saying through her accent there, but when we first went to that one village, um, and we hadn't really done much, but we gathered the people around and we said, hey, we want to work with you because there's you know, this issue going on. And then we had a call for prayer. And so there was a group of men and women who stood up and said, yes, please pray for me. She was one of the people in line. And I remember her because she was wearing a pink dress. She was heavily pregnant. And usually when you see a woman that's pregnant here in Canada, when you see somebody pregnant, you know, like you on Facebook, everybody has a pregnancy announcements and big sister, big brother, you know, something really fun and exciting. And it's like a big deal to announce that you're pregnant. And you can, you know, people, women are very excited and very connected with their pregnancy. In Sierra Leone, it's the opposite because the fear of losing that child or the fear of dying is so real. And so she was very detached, but unusually detached from her pregnancy. I could see that. And as I began to hear her story, and um, she said, this is her seventh, her seventh pregnancy. And well, what are, are your other children? She said, they all died. They either die in utero right before they're born, or they die within a few weeks or months after she's given birth to them. And our hearts immediately went out to her, and I was like, we don't, I don't have anything to give you. We don't have a clinic yet. We haven't done anything here, but can I pray for you? Can we just pray for you? She said, yeah. So, I, you know, we laid hands on her, and I didn't, um, it was a few years ago in 2014, laid hands on her and prayed for her. And I just felt this, you know, compassion. But I didn't know what's, what was going to happen. We drove away and left that village. And um, I kept thinking of her over the year, you know, as it went by. I didn't, there's no connection. There's no phone. What, whatever happened to this woman. So the next year, I went back. And I saw her. And she was holding a baby. And I was like, oh, oh she lived. She's like, yeah. And um, she named her Tara. So that's baby Tara. That's why I have a big smile on my face, because I'm like, she's so cute, hey? She didn't name her for five months. She didn't name her baby for five months because she was really afraid she was gonna die. And when I think of that, I think that that's not what God wants. That's not his heart. God is so passionate about birth. I don't know if you know that, but he's really passionate about birth and pregnant women. And this applies to you men. <laughs> he has you in this place as well. 
God is so passionate about birth. We're just learning, as I've been doing this whole thing with Freedom Tree, I'm only just learning how powerful the time in your mother's womb is and the impact it has on you. You know, the Bible says, I called you before you were born, I knew you. Before you were knit in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you before then. And even now, perinatal psychologists are just still discovering all these things that happen in utero with babies. That we can have memories, and we often have memories right back to the time of our conception. We remember things, we remember what happens. That the first three months of somebody's pregnancy is so critical when that announcement is made and people can feel rejection right at that time or acceptance. And that can determine the course of your entire life because you can become attached to your parents during that time or you can become completely detached. Because what you hear, so this became as we do, you know, what we do in Freedom Tree, it's so much more than just preventing people from dying. It's what is God's heart for people to give birth? What is God's heart for people in their womb? What is God's heart? What, is, what does he want to look at? I'll tell you a, qu a quick story from the Bible. Because I looked and I said, God, if, if all this is true, is if, then show me, tell me, show me how in the Bible, you know, how important this is. Because we're learning people's lives are shaped and determined by what they experience in the mother's rooms. Because they can feel their mother's emotions. They can feel their father's emotions. They can hear, remember how people react to them, whether or not they're wanted or they're not wanted. And it shapes your lives. It, it, it forms this. It, it shapes how you relate to your parents. So the nativity story, which we all know is this great story in the Bible where Jesus was born, right? We have the donkey. It's not Christmas yet, but you have the donkey, you have the manger, you have the three wise men and a whole bunch of animals in a stable. Um, I looked back at that and I thought, well, if this is so important to God, then surely show me a birth that you were so involved in. And I think he was very involved in the birth of his son. I think we can all agree on that one. But you know, the first thing he did when, Mo, um, when Mary got pregnant was he sent her away. Why? Because those first three months are the most sensitive period of time for any pregnant woman for that fetus. And acceptance or rejection during that time can change the course of the life of that child. And he knew that Nazareth was not a healthy place for her because people would have pointed fingers, maybe stoned her, maybe spat at her. So he sent her to Elizabeth, her cousin, who completely accepted her, who completely welcomed her and who nurtured her. And she spent three months with him. Then she came back. By this time, Joseph had gotten used to the idea. They got married and then he sent her away again. And sent her away, not this, we have the story that it was an you know, uncomfortable going into Bethlehem. And maybe it was. And they had no place at the hotel at the inn. And it wasn't a hotel. It wasn't an inn. The word for inn is the same word that was used for upper room in the Bible where Jesus spent the Last Supper. It was just a room. It's named for a spare room. There was no room in the spare room in the family home. That's all it was. And so then they spent the time in the manger. And the manger was a room attached to the main house. And so she probably gave birth, not in a cold, dark cave with a bunch of animals, she gave, dark, she gave birth in a place attached to the main house in, her fam in the family home of her husband, cared for, nurtured, taken care of. 
And then they sent her away again to a place that was even safer. With about $2 million in their pocket in today's money, because that was what the value of what the wise men brought was, to really kind of take care of themselves in Egypt. So that Moses, so that Joseph could find something to do and take care of his family. And so there's this picture, if this, what happens in our mother's wombs is so important, there's this picture of God throughout the Bible taking care of Jesus right from conception, right up until he was five years old before they brought him back into Nazareth. And I think that's what he wants for us all. That's what he wants for Sierra Leone, not death, but birth and healthy birth and healthy life. And this is not, as we move forward here, this is not just a women's issue. Somebody very nicely corrected me on that today. It is an all of us issue. So we work with both men and the women in Sierra Leone to see this happen. It is super important. And we work with the men to build the communities and to build the clinics. So they build it with their own hands for the women. It's important that everybody comes together and does that. And so the part that you have to play, if we can just show that video in TED Talk and I'll end, yeah. Um, the part that you have to play is a very important part. I call it a people movement. Because I think that when this ends, is when we all join together and we say enough, enough. I'm gonna speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. This is enough. It's a people movement, like any other people movement that has taken place in the world, be it the civil rights movement or the recent people movements in the United States with Trump, whatever we may think of that. <laughs> but it's when people join together and say enough. So I wanted to end with this video, and, I'll just, and then afterwards I'll just tell you some of what you can do if you feel God stirring and moving you and your heart to be part of this. I guess I have to switch this. Oh, I did. So ladies and gentlemen, at TED we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch oh. a movement happen, start to finish, in under three minutes and dissect some lessons video? from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial... No? Okay. Never mind. It wasn't meant to be. That's okay. We'll move on. We can move on to the last slide. It was just a small video just talking about what a people movement is and just showing that we all have a part to play. And that this is something that's on God's heart. We join because you're his son. We join because you're, in, you're his daughter and you care about the things that he cares about. And if you are sensing, if something has picked on your heart today as I've spoken, I've just spoken very briefly on some of the things that we do and what our heart is. Um, you can come talk to me after and there are some really practical things that you can do to join um, to see this change. Yeah, Greg has some leaflets and um, some brochures there so that you can take from him. 
there's some practical things that you can do. First of all, you can come. We have teams going out all the time. You can come on an adventure. <laughs> It'll change your life. It's a very interesting place. Um, there, are, there are no Starbucks. There's no Walmarts. So it's uh, kind of rustic, to say the least. But it's fine. You'll be safe. Um, we have trips going out, usually around each of those five pillars. And so it could be a trip surrounded education or a trip surrounding health. If you're a professional, you know, a health professional or, or into education, there's, you know, there's lots for you to do in that area. If you're not, there's still lots for you to do. Whatever your talent is, you can join with your time, your treasure, or your talent. One of those areas. Or all of those areas or a couple of those areas. You can raise money. Money is great. You can donate. Um, we're always, the, you know, the need is great. We build clinics. We do education projects. We uh, sponsor children to go through school so that they don't perpetuate that cycle and that God can move in their lives. We do lots of intercession in the communities and the villages. So there's lots of things that, um, that go to. You can support our local partner. We work with an amazing ministry down in Sierra Leone. We could not do what we do in Sierra Leone without them. Um, New Harvest Ministries, Shidonke and Santa Johnson. And they actually, the neat thing about this is they're actually, they started off as a church planting ministry. So they reach Muslims all over West Africa and all over Asia and all over the Middle East. And so what we do is we now, we have an access into the communities because of their church planters, because their church planters work in these communities. And so we piggyback off of what they do. And so you can support them in what they do practically. If you, there's a you know, practical way to support them with Bibles for their church planters um, and also money for Bibles that are translated. So NIV study Bibles are great. If any of you want to buy a bunch of those and give to me, I'm going again in March. I would happily take a suitcase full down of that. And if you, your talent is also a great way. If you have a talent in anything that you want to donate to, if you love multimedia or you love making brochures, because I really suck at those, um, if you want to spend your time giving in that area, I would love to hear from you. And so you can always email me, let me know. And we can, you can also adopt a village. Adopt a village or adopt a pillar. So you can practically adopt a village and do a lot of things in that village to see that village come uh, to be free from this. We've seen, I am humbled by what we've seen. I'm humbled by how God has taken just a few people who said yes and the things that he has done. I'm very humbled by it. And I would love to invite you to join me on this journey because it is a journey. I don't know how long it will take and where it would end. But I know that it's doable, not because we work so hard at it, because God is already doing it. And so we get to join with him in doing this. And it is tons of fun. It is tons of fun. It's tons of fun to go, get to know people there. It's tons of fun to participate and to do this. It will challenge you. You will grow. You will learn. But it is a ton of fun. So I invite you into that. Okay. Thank you. Isn't that incredible? What, uh, what Tara is giving is not simply an emotional plea. It's, 
you asking God, and you can do this right now, Holy Spirit, how am I supposed to respond to this? And it's not necessarily about how you feel or what you were thinking about before you came. It's Spirit of God, what are you saying to me right now? How am I to respond to what I've heard? And who you're responding to is to the Father, not just to Tara, but you're responding to God and saying, I want to be, I want to join in what you're doing. What, um, <clears throat> what we'd like to hand out right now, if we can have those ushers are magically going to appear. If you, can, uh, if you can put up your hand, and if you would like to consider, you're not, you're not taking this, you're just taking this to consider, but if you'd like to consider contributing, uh, can you take one of these and take a look at it and see how God would have you, uh, would have you join? <clears throat> and uh, there's a couple hands down here, ushers. If you can take a look at that. Also at the back, we're going to have Freedom Tree's 2016 annual report. And it's a, great, uh, it's a great summary of what went on in just one year. And uh, I've looked through it. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So let's, let's just spend a minute worshiping, being quiet. We're going to have communion in a moment. But let me pray for us. And if you, uh, if you got overlooked, these will be at the back as well at the uh, Connection Center. So you can, uh, you can go there as well. <clears throat> Father, I, I just, I love when Tara said that this isn't about pity. This is about recognizing the destiny on the next generation and investing in that. And Father, we want to be a next generation church. We want to be a church that invests in what you value. And we know that above everything, you value human life. And so Father, we want to not just give something because we're uh, Westerners looking down on another nation. We want to look up and see what you're doing and give our heart give our talents, give our treasures into those things. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in Freedom Tree. We thank you for uh, the miracle of life. We thank you that in that new life, physically, has come spiritual new life as well. And so we thank you for the depth of this ministry that is committed to bringing uh, your good news at every level. Father, thank you for the privilege of hearing this today and for listening to you for how we can respond. We love you, Jesus. Let's worship, and then in a moment we're going to uh, have communion.